a greyhound to the county line She's reading Marx and Lenin all the time She says, Jesus freak, you're such a fool I say, Satan loves you, thinks you're cool She's a socialist of the highest degree I'm a communist, her mother hates me You're an anarchist, you don't want anything from me I'm a Satanist, at least that's what I think I might be Alrighty well, that's Vix. And that's Asher. And this, this is, is Speak, Speak of, of the, the Devil. Devil. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying something out. Um, okay. Good morning. Or afternoon. Or it's actually evening. Yeah, whatever. You know. Hi. This is a podcast. You can listen to it whenever. That's the beauty of the format. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We, uh, we're back. We're gonna try to do Crowley part two today. Yes. Um, there may be a part three. We're not really sure how much we'll get into. And, um. Yes. Especially since we're kind of getting to our favorite part right about now. Yes. But, um, before we get into it, um, we had sort of left off at, um, when Crowley... Uh, started to get back into um, Thelema. Yes. You know, this idea that he'd allegedly channeled and resisted. And you, Vix, were, uh, before yes. we started this rolling, were problematizing some of Crowley's narratives around um, that. I mean, so I have this from one book, which honestly is not a great book. Um, it is Aleister Crowley, Man, Myth, and Magic by Stephen Ash. Mm-hmm. And that's Ash with an E on the end for some reason. Um, Why not? And that book believes he was a British secret agent, so I'm not sure how trustworthy it is. Mm-hmm. But it says that the Book of the Law was, quote-unquote, rediscovered in 1909, mm-hmm. but had changed into a typed manuscript on 1909 paper instead of the handwritten thing he said it originally was. And also that there is evidence that the museum, he said, Rose ran through to find the Horace uh, Stila. Uh, yeah, it was a Stila. You're yeah. Right. Um, was closed at the time that that incident was supposed to have happened. I don't know how true that is. Tell. So, yeah, so there basically he might have actually written Book of the Law and like kind of come up with the whole Thelema thing in uh 1909 or so instead um but no one is sure no one's sure um although i would honestly say that doesn't necessarily preclude it being a received text no it doesn't at all because as we were saying he was just getting back into the abramelin yeah and um, also doing a lot of hashish yeah i mean like i totally believe it's a received text I'm not mm-hmm. sure whether the myths surrounding its origins are true or not, or partially true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entirely sure it really, really matters. Not really. I uh, mean... Like, you know, who knows? Who the fuck knows with this guy? Exactly. Um. So anyway, Crowley's, whether he's just made Thelema up or just received Thelema just now, or if he really has, you know, sort of reconciled himself to this previously yep. received text. Um, oh my god, I almost just called him the most interesting man in the world. The wickedest man in the world is yes. getting into this Thelema thing and really starting to accept it. Yes. Um, you know, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, who knows, his inheritance is running out right about now. Yep. Um, he, uh, previously had been pretty leery about accepting money for magic, um, but he allows himself to be hired by, um, a paranoid Earl, George Montague Bennett, the Earl of Tankerville, um, to protect him from witchcraft, um, a paranoia that was, uh, probably due to the Earl's cocaine addiction. That will... 
make you more worried about witchcraft. Yeah, apparently. Well, I mean, look at the Bowie episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, that time that Bowie thought that, um... He was in a magical war with, um, Jimmy Page. Yeah, when in fact he was just doing too much cocaine. And Jimmy Page liked him fine. <laughs> anyway, um, so Crowley's like, yeah, this guy's not getting witched. Um, I'm just gonna take him to France and Morocco to take the air and recuperate. Um, Which, like, as scams go, isn't the worst. Because, like, he's not gonna pay you not to, like, anti-witchcraft proof him. Yeah, you know, it's and fine. And if you're, like, trying to help with the cocaine addiction, you could be <clears throat> a worse person. Um... Also, at this point, um, Crowley starts taking paying students. Yes. Um, notably, I'm not even sure if he's so much a paying student as a younger submissive sugar daddy. Yep. Victor Newberg. Who is... Our favorite person in the world. We love Newberg. Just, ah, uh, so much fun. Um... This might be a moment to confess that we wrote some Crowley and Newberg-inspired smut one time. Yep. Uh, and may have role-played as Crowley and Newberg-inspired characters a few times. Yes. In a sexual way. <laughs> um, because we aspire to be the most extra men in the world. Yes. Um, so Newberg is an interesting guy. He's, uh, 25, I believe, at this point. Yep. Um, he's a poet. Yes. And that's kind of how he gets in touch with Crowley. Um, ah, ha, ha, ha. Crowley's description of him. Oh, yes, this. This is a lot. Um, warning. Newberg is Jewish, and Crowley was a bit of an anti-Semite. Um, and yeah. kind of just, like, gave him a lot of shit in general. But especially about that. Especially because... about that. Um, so this is a weirdly affectionate but not entirely kind description of Victor Newberg from Aleister Crowley. He was an agnostic, a vegetarian, a mystic, a Tol Tolstoyan, and several other things all at once. He endeavored to express his spiritual state by wearing the green star of Esperanto, though he could not speak the language, by refusing to wear a hat, even in London, to wash, and to wear trousers. Whenever addressed, he wriggled convulsively, and his lips, which were three times too large for him and had been put on hastily as an afterthought, emitted the most extraordinary laugh that had ever come my way. To these advantages, he united those of being extraordinarily well-read, overflowing with exquisitely subtle humor, and being one of the best-natured people that ever trod this planet. So... Honestly, that description of the, like, wriggling and giggling sounds a little bit like you when getting tickled. Possibly. Also, the overly large lips, although in your case that's because you get fillers. Yes. <laughs> um... So, and mine weren't put on hastily as an afterthought. No, they were put on deliberately um, and at great expense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> Newberg. Newberg. Yes, dear? Crowley's... Did you just respond to Newberg? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, Newberg and Crowley are, in fact, doing gay stuff together. Allegedly sadomasochistic gay stuff. Um, and they're writing poetry. Um, Crowley also writes Lieber 777 around this time, which is his sort of Kabbalistic text. Mm -hmm. um, Crowley also decides that it's time to found an occult order. Um... To kind of replace the Golden Dawn, which he is uh, no longer charmed with, as we've talked about. Yep. <laughs> um, so he founds the AA, um, not to be confused with Alcoholics Anonymous. Which uh, he probably could have used. <laughs> too bad it had not been invented yet. Yep. Um, AA is Argentum Astrum, 
I believe, is what that stands for. Mm-hmm. And it's um, kind of like a little bit borrowed from Golden Dawn, but it's based on Thelema. Yes. And uh, they start publishing sort of a journal um, called the Equinox, which um, is, Crowley calls it the official organ of the AA. Um, the review of scientific illuminism. Okay. So, and I, I don't know, I've read a little bit of the stuff from it. Uh-huh. It's, it's fun to look at old Equinox stuff. In some ways, it does kind of feel a little bit like a scientific journal, huh. but with wackadoodle occultism. I like it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, good times. And yeah. a lot of Crowley's well-known writings originally were put out in that. Yes. That's where he calls uh, Arthur Waite dead weight, which is just bitchy and funny. So bitchy. Um, side note, Arthur Edward Waite was entirely capable of being bitchy himself. Yes. I was just looking back over some material from Devil Worship in France earlier today. But uh, that is neither here nor there. We'll do an episode on that. We did. Oh, right. Well, you were such a space case. Well, no, I didn't mean that. I meant one on weight. Oh, okay. <laughs> Will it be titled Dead Weight? Let's do fuck it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Crowley's, uh, he's also divorcing his wife. Um, yeah. I think we got into that, but yeah. yeah. On, on the grounds of adultery, which is hilarious because he was fucking everyone. Yep. Double standards. Woo. Um, and she's institutionalized uh, due to her alcoholism. Um, Yet another person who could have used the other AA. Yes. <laughs> really, that's most of these people. Although, actually, I don't feel like we talked about this that much in the first uh-huh. part. Drugs were kind of... Like, everyone was just kind of doing them to be fashionable. And it wasn't really illegal or stigmatized yeah it was well it was during that weird period of time before people had entirely figured out that like doing a ton of coke was bad for you well yeah i mean um pretty sure actually okay so my drug history is not that good but cocaine was sort of just being sold as medicine for pretty much everything i mean you know so was morphine yeah um and all these kind of newfangled yep. medicines um, were all kinds of fun yeah. and often being treated kind of as cure-alls. And... Yep. I mean, heroin was addicted, uh, sorry, was invented as a non-addictive substitute <laughs> for morphine. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, they fucked up. You know, you give a little bit of cocaine to your kid when it has a cold or whatever. Yeah. You know, get, give the kid a speedball. Yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> anyway. Um so, yeah, I mean, you hear about, like, all the drug use of these people, but people well, didn't really understand what a bad idea it was. Freud did a ton of coke. Yeah, everyone did a ton of coke. Um, anyway, though, so in uh, November of 1909, mm-hmm. Crowley and Newberg traveled to Algeria and yep. uh, start wandering around the desert. Yep. Uh, with Newberg on a chain. Apparently, yes. Um, because Crowley was the dom, and Newberg was quite the sub. This this thing where Crowley says that Newberg was ref- refusing to wear trousers, I'm just really curious about that. Yeah. Like, what was he doing? Was he wandering around in a dress? Was he just wandering around... Not wearing pants? Was he, like, shirt cocking? Like, what's... I don't know. I suppose we'll never know. <laughs> More research needed anyway. Yeah. Someone who knows this stuff, tell us if you do. Yeah. No. What What did Newberg wear, if anything, instead of trousers? Yes. Inquiring minds want to know. Um, what if it was just a towel? <laughs> <laughs> a kilt. Oh, God. That's a possibility. It is a possibility. Um, (laughs) so they're wandering around in the desert doing a lot of mescaline and who knows what else. And they are invoking the 33 ethers of Enochian magic. Yep. Um, and actually I'm, (laughs) so this, the results of this were later published in the Equinox as the vision and the voice. 
mm-hmm. and I'm I'm kind of reading through it um, for some of my research right now. It's trippy shit. Yep. Um, it looks like what they were doing is they had a scrying stone mm-hmm. um, that notably had a rosy cross, a Rosicrucian cross in the middle of it. Yep. So when you're reading the vision and the voice, it'll often say, like, there is only the rosy cross. And that just means that, like, Crowley's not seeing shit yeah. in the scrying stone, even though that sounds, like, very portentous. Yep. <laughs> um, but That's he's, hilarious. He's doing this work with the Enochian ethers that is um, very Kabbalistic and also profoundly Thelemic and anti-Christian. Yes. Um. And it starts to become this, like, weird sort of journey through the Sephira. Uh-huh. Um, or the Sephirot. Sephira is singular. I'm bad yes. at this. Um, and, yeah, it looks like um, at first they were kind of doing this every evening between, like, 8 and 9 p.m., but the times vary you, as you read the vision and the yeah. voice you can see. But typically the sessions are, of scrying are about an hour. Yep. Um, and, you know, Crowley's seeing all this crazy stuff and Newberg's writing it down. Um, they're also, so very notably, this yes. is the story that is so much fun. And um, <laughs> here's the thing. We're not entirely sure what happened. Yes. Um. But this whole thing kind of culminated in, um, as they're receiving these um, weird visions, Yes, Crowley's starting to feel that he's being told he needs to cross the abyss, um, and he needs to lose his yep. ego, and he needs to really become the Beast 666. Yes. He needs to sort of be united with that purpose and that self. Yep. Um, and... What the abyss is, is a little bit confusing for people who aren't familiar with um, Kabbalah. But uh, what's like the dumbed down way to say this? It's You've got the tree of life. And at a certain point, as you're getting close to the top, there is... Um, a spot where... Google this tree of life. And there's a spot near the top where... There's this idea that there maybe was a sphere or there's a hidden sphere. It's called Da'at, and that's the abyss. And there's a lot of ideas yeah. about what Da'at really is, but it's like the sephira that isn't a sephira. And um, you need to get across it to get to Bina. Yep. Which um, is the sephira that Crowley associates with Babylon. Yep. And also with Nuit, who are kind of the most important goddesses in uh, Thelema. Yep. Or maybe they're two sides of the same important goddess. Who knows? It's Thelema. We're not Thelemites. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's interesting stuff. Yeah. But Crowley believes he needs to yeah. cross the abyss. <clears throat> and he decides that how he wants to do this is... um. Try to summon the demon of the abyss, Koronzon. Yep. I always want to say Kronazon because that's better sounding, but it's Koronzon. Um, yes. Doesn't he, that sound like a Digimon? It does. It really does. <laughs> Basically, though, yeah. so literally the pages in Crowley's journal that describe what the fuck happened here are torn out. Yep. Which strongly, strongly indicates that it was some gay shit. Yep. And in fact, that is what is believed to have happened. What is believed to have happened is that Crowley has Newberg standing in the magic circle, summoning the demon. Yep. And Crowley decides to be outside the circle. Yes. For some reason. Um, and supposedly the demon possesses him. And proceeds to kick sand across the magic circle yep. that's supposed to be protecting Newberg and attack him. Um, yes. At which point, somehow, Newberg concludes that the way to defend himself and subdue the demon 
that is possessing Crowley is to fuck that demon slash Crowley right in the butt. I mean, you know. You know. They're, they've been doing masculine for a while. And also, like, this, they've been fucking a lot. They have been fucking a lot. Although apparently they haven't been doing sex magic. Yes. This is thought to be the first sex magic ritual that Crowley does. Yep. And so, yes, the belief is that Newberg sodomizes the shit out of Alistair Carranza on Crowley. Yep. And this propels Crowley across the abyss. Yep. And he considers himself to have... His ego to have died. His ego has died. He is reborn. He has reached Bina. He has reached Babylon. Yep. Um, in some sense, he may have considered himself to have kind of become Babylon um, at some point during that. Yes. I have a professor who insists that Crowley's idea of Babylon is mostly, like, actually sort of a self-conception as a submissive male prostitute. Which, like... Is interesting. Is interesting, though also he keeps having... He also keeps having women play the role of the Scarlet Woman. For him, Absolutely. But one thing that's notable is um, it's thought that Crowley preferred women, but it seems like a lot of his big sex magic results really came from getting sodomized. Yep. Um, As we talked about in the first episode... He uh, kind of had his spiritual awakening. Yeah. Seemingly concurrent with his bisexual awakening. Yep. And now he's crossing the abyss, you know, getting done doggy style by Victor Newberg in the middle of the Sahara. We don't know that they did it doggy style. Yeah, but that's the mental image that That, I like the best. Yeah. It's like middle of a magic circle and Crowley's all possessed by a demon. He's like... (laughs) And Newberg's eyes are like rolling back in his head. And he's like... <laughs> yes. I, I, you know that Newberg whimpered like a bitch even when he was talking. Almost certainly. Because he's my type. Um anyway, <laughs> I over-identify with Alistair Crowley for reasons that don't need to be discussed and can probably be deduced without that. <laughs> yes. <sighs> so, you know, now a popular thing to say about this story is that Newberg had a mental breakdown right then. He didn't. He didn't. He did later, possibly as the result of another sex magic working with Crowley. Yep. So we might still be able to say that Crowley broke a man's mind with his ass. Um. Which I admire. I respect that deeply. I know you do. <laughs> Of course, it could also simply have been... A lot of drugs. Or a combination of the two. Or Crowley being really emotionally abusive all the time, because he was. Yes. Yeah. That is not a way you over-identify with Crowley, thank goodness. No. I mean, consensual verbal humiliation is one thing. Yes. And just, like, relentlessly bullying your submissive top with anti-Semitic slurs in a non-consensual fashion is not cool. At all. And I wouldn't be comfortable doing that even in a consensual fashion. Yeah, no, that would be... Although if that's someone's kink, then fine. Yeah, that... I'll be over here. Yeah. (laughs) Do find someone else to do that with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do, 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 do. So, Crowley's had this breakthrough. This crossing of the abyss and also this sex magic. Yep. And this, this idea of sex magic really becomes Crowley's major contribution. Yep. Although he, he contributes a lot. Yeah. Um, and, like, people had kind of had <clears throat> ideas about sex magic-ish before, but it had been, like... We'll actually get into that in just a second. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Crowley goes back to London in 1910 and uh, finds out that Mathers is suing him because he's published all this Golden Dawn secret shit in the Equinox. Yep. Um, the court decides in favor of Crowley. And the press has a great time with this case. Because, of course, it fucking does. And um, Crowley, like, totally plays into the reports that he's a human-sacrificing Satanist because 
he really yeah. hasn't figured out that this kind of publicity is bad for he him. He hasn't yet. realized that there is such a thing as bad publicity. He's just he's an attention whore. He is. Um, as well as every other kind of whore when you get right down to it. Um and well, actually, in a sense, this publicity works well for him because mm-hmm. he starts getting new members to the AA. Yep. Um and um you know, Crowley kind of develops this little set and um mm-hmm. he's uh gets involved with an Australian violinist, Layla Waddell or Waddle, I'm not yep. sure. Who, I wanna say Waddell. Yep. Swears <laughs> uh like who also becomes his Scarlet Woman. Mm-hmm. Everyone becomes Crowley's Scarlet Woman. Including yep. Crowley. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> um and like Newberg can kind of dance. Um and so they start having these like little ritual performances of the so-called rites of Artemis. Yep. Um with, you know, Layla and violin and Newberg sort of leaping about. As one does. <laughs> um yes. and, you know, Crowley basically like Gets him some more legal trouble. He's getting sued all the time. Yep. Um, do, 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 do. Um, Crowley and Newberg actually go back to Algeria to do some more magical workings. Yes. Um, actually, I just remembered. I found this lovely little um, poem okay. that Newberg wrote. Very uh, obviously. About Crowley. Yes. That was published in 1910. Um, Sweet wizard in whose footsteps I have trod unto the shrine of the most obscene god. So steep the pathway is I may not know until I reach the summit where I go. <laughs> like, what a cutie, right? Yep. <laughs> he had it bad for Crowley. Yes, he did. Do, 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 do. Yep. Also, I was just looking at Aleister Crowley's um, mm-hmm. birth chart. Oh, yeah? He was a Libra. <laughs> with a Pisces moon and a Leo rising. And an Aries midheaven. Whoa. Well, you know, the Libra thing actually makes a little bit of sense. Yes. Because we're about to start talking about Crowley adopting the magical name of Baphomet. Hey! <laughs> um, and also, we're going to talk about other people who were doing sex magic. Yay! Because, uh... God, of course what? his Venus was in Libra. <laughs> oh, um... Mm-hmm. Also, right around this time, Crowley starts putting a K on the end of magic. Which to is... To differentiate magic from stage magic. Yep. Um, which is annoying, and I'm not going to do it. I don't care. Yep. Um, Mars Crowley and Capricorn. Go on. Publishes The Book of Lies in uh, 1912. Uh-huh. And um, this leads to him attracting the attention of a, a secret occult order called the Ordo Templi Orientis. Yep. Which is like bad Latin for Order of the Temple of the East. Yep. Um, because the OTO is like, what the fuck? Where do you get our secrets of sex magic? Yep. And Crowley's like, I didn't know about you. I had no idea yep. that you were doing this shit. This is yeah. parallel invention. Cool. Um, and the OTO goes, oh, okay. Yep. And, um... Because they're not dicks like <clears throat> Mathers. In fact, yes, exactly. In fact, Crowley is, uh, promptly appointed as the head of the OTO's British branch. Mm-hmm. The Mysteria Mystica Maxima, MMM. Mm. And, um... Uh-huh. Crowley adopts the magical name of Baphomet, as I was just saying. Yep. Um, he... Crowley, like, really just kind of starts taking over to OTO, like, immediately. Um, At that point, it was kind of based on Freemasonry. And he starts, like, throwing in a bunch of Thelema 
yeah and like rewriting their rituals um he's getting more and more into sex magic because you know he's discovered this great thing and the oto already knows about this This great great thing thing and and he's also a slut and he likes magic you know sex magic alistair crowley's two favorite things yep there you go also guess what his mercury was in (sighs) what scorpio of course Oh, yeah. Uh, says Crowley devised a magical working based on anal sex and incorporated it into the syllabus for those OTO members who had been initiated into the 11th grade. So you, you got to have butt sex. Yeah. They'll also like. You... OK, these days you probably don't have to have butt sex at the 11th degree of the OTO. but Yeah, Though <laughs> they don't tell you about the butt sex <clears throat> secrets until the 11th degree. Ah, well, no, you could be having butt sex before that. Yeah, but they're... The mystical secrets of butt that's sex. That's what are, I meant. Yes, yes. Aha, uh-huh, I see. Um, let's see. Crowley's traveling around. He's slutting around. There have been, like, two scarlet women that I haven't even named since uh, Layla. Yep. <laughs> um, and he's still seeing Newberg. Yep. Who, by the way, is also, like, kind of trying to have relationships with women. Yep. And, um, I don't know. I feel like Newberg might have also been largely heterosexual, but, like, was one of those, like, hapless yeah. sort of sensitive men who yeah. just, like, keeps kind of mooning after girls and it never seems to work out. Yeah, I mean, he ended up sort of happily married eventually. I'm pretty sure that they were divorced. Huh. Yeah, let me check this. Okay. Yep. Oh no, he did he did eventually he had a marriage that broke up and then uh eventually he just kinda lived in sin with some woman. Okay, good. <clears throat> yeah. Um but at this point oh yeah. Okay, sorry, first um Curly's written the Gnostic Mass and the Hymn to Pan. Yep. Which are two of his major works, honestly. Yep. Um, if you get the chance to, like, check out a Gnostic Mass... You should. They're cool. They are cool. I mean, don't be, like, a gawking looky-loo, but... You know, go... If you're an occultist who wants to educate yourself in... Yeah. Like, you know, be like you're visiting someone else's church, because yeah. you are. Be yeah. polite, but it's... It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Just look up your local OTO chapter. Uh, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's uh, 1914, and Crowley and Newberg perform a six-week working, known as the Paris working, which was um, a lot of drug use in sex magic and invoking the gods Mercury and Jupiter. Yep. Um, like you do. Crowley writes Libra Agape, which is a treatise on sex magic. Yep. But uh, Newberg starts to kind of distance himself from Crowley. And uh, they get in a fight and Crowley curses him. Which... And um, right around there, I believe, is when he has his nervous breakdown. Yep. So (laughs) it could have been with his ass. It could have been with magic. Yeah. Could have been with ass magic. Yeah. The curse of the anus. Yeah. Or a fuck ton of drugs. Or any combination of the above. Um, And Crowley, um, years later in 1930, writes a mean limerick about Newberg. And yes, I am going to read it to you. Okay. A sausage-lipped songster of staining was solemnly bent on attaining, but he broke all the rules about managing tools and so broke down in the training. Oh, dear. Yeah, he just wouldn't shut up about Newberg's lips. Yep. It sounds like Newberg had DSLs to me, which is a good thing yes. as far as I'm concerned. Having a look at photos of him? Not, not bad looking. No, not bad looking. I mean, honestly, like, even Crowley was still kind of cute around that time. Yeah, no. Uh, so, let's see. Crowley's broken up with his submissive sugar daddy, so he's really poor again. Yep. Um, it's pretty much living on donations from AA members and dues payments to the OTO. Yep. Um, 
does a little bit of mountaineering. Because he does that. Uh, World War One breaks out. Which he may or may not have predicted. In the Book of the Law. Actually, he did predict it. Yeah, he did. So, that's yeah. freaky. Um, and he moves to New York City for a little bit. Yep. Um, <laughs> writing for Vanity Fair a little bit. Yeah. Which is funny. I didn't know that. I knew that. <laughs> That's so fucking random. I want to find, I want to find his, like, Vanity Fair articles. <laughs> That's so fucking random. I love it. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so he, uh. Yep. Isn't that also around the time where he ends up writing during World War One? just so we're clear? Yes. He's writing, um. Sort of pro-German propaganda, but yep. he's also his alleged motive for this is he's like, oh, I'm of Irish ancestry and I support Irish independence. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, Germany, bomb Britain. Um, I even read a quote from him yeah. where he was like, it was sort of satirical, and he's like, yeah, oh, the Germans. Latest round of bombing. Missed my mother's house. Here's the exact address. <laughs> Get it next time. <laughs> so, he really didn't like his mom. Yep. So. <clears throat> some. Some people claim he was working for British intelligence during that As period. a double agent. Yeah. Um, and that he was. Uh, I mean, it's kind of true that his pro-german articles were like i mean it was stuff like that it was like weirdly hyperbolic and somewhat satirical sounding yeah. so i don't know what his opinions were i mean honestly i don't really have an opinion on like mm -hmm. world war one aside from it shouldn't happen and i blame capitalism and aristocrats yeah um but yeah, like supposedly the point was to make the German lobby appear ridiculous in the eyes of the American public. Although in service of this, he did declare independence for Ireland in front of the Statue of Liberty as a publicity stunt. So... Which is funny. Yep. And, you know... Yeah. Honestly, he probably did not support Irish independence. He was a British pig dog. Yes, he was. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's see. Unless he did because he was also wildly inconsistent in weird ways. Yeah. Well, I know he was into, like, pretending to be Scottish, but my guess is that he probably yeah. hated the Irish. Yeah. Because Crowley is all about, like, being randomly bigoted in, like, the weirdest and most British possible ways. True. Anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway. So he's hanging out in America... Heads over to the West Coast for a little bit. Yep. Visits New Orleans. Yep. And he's kind of just, like, spreading around the AA and the OTO. Um, like you do. Yeah. Uh, again, several Scarlet Women in here. Yep. Um, such as Jean Robert, Foster, Jean Robert Foster and... Um, yes. Roddy Minor, just lots of girls. Um, yep. He uh, goes on a magical retreat in 1918 to uh, Esopus Island on the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. Esopus, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, and claims to experience past life memories of being such people as... Uh, Pope Alexander the Sixth, um, Cagliostro, and Eliphas Levy. Of course, because why not? Um, oh, moves to Greenwich Village. Yep, and that's where he meets uh, Leah Hirsig. Yes, Hirsig, who's kind of um, I feel like the two really important Scarlet women. Yeah, are Rose and then Leia. So. Leia's yep. going to be a major player for a while. Yep. Yeah. Um, does a little more mountain climbing. Works on the equinox a little bit. <clears throat> yep. Um, ends up back in London destitute. and uh, As you do. Labeled a treacherous scum for his 
supposedly pro-German work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Doctor prescribes him heroin for asthma. Which was a big problem because he got very addicted. Yes. Um... Also, I'm not sure heroin works for asthma. It probably doesn't really help with that. Um, He's living in sin with Leia. She uh, has a daughter, baby daughter. Um, Unclear if it's his. Yep. Um, And he starts to think about having sort of an intentional Thelemite community that he would call the Abbey of Thelema. Oh, Um, boy. So this, this was a bad idea. Because honestly, I just don't think he was at a very good point in his life. Yep. Um, honestly, a lot of his kind of best work is behind him. Yep. Literally at this point. Yep. Um, and he's on heroin. So they decide to move to uh, Italy. Yep. Yeah. They they decide to uh, to go to Shefalu. Uh, um, yep. On Sicily. Yep. Um, rent an old villa. Yep. And, you know, so Leia moves in. Um, so does another one of his sexual partners, Nanette Shumway. Yep. Um, the kids. Of course. There, there's three kids uh, between all of those. Yep. Um they're hanging out in robes. They're performing rituals to raw several times a day. Like you do. Um, you know, just, just kind of hanging out. Um, kind of lets the kids just do whatever they want. And, like, just kind of, like, does sex magic whether they're in the room or not. Which is a bit... Dude. Dude, yeah. Um, <clears throat> going to Palermo to see rent boys and buy drugs um at this point cocaine is eroding his nasal cavity according to wikipedia oh boy <clears throat> and uh there are wild dogs and cats wandering through the building so kind of just pooping everywhere it's, it's it sounds like a little bit like i mean honestly it's a crack house well yes i was going to say it also sounds like sex magic gray gardens a little bit. It's Sex Magic Grey Gardens Crack House, um, which is too bad. Um, Crowley had also gotten into painting at some point, and he honestly did some pretty cool murals yep. in the Abbey of Thelema, apparently. Yep. Um, <clears throat> one of Leia's daughters dies in these unsanitary Sex Fucking Magic condition. Crack House conditions. Um, Nanette uh-huh. gives birth to her daughter. Astarte Lulu Panthea. Like you do. Because that's just what Alistair Crowley thinks kids should be named. Yep. Um, But despite the fact that it's a sex magic crack house, other people want to live in it. Which honestly, there's always going to want to, there's always going to be people who want to live in a sex magic crack house. Yep. Um, And... Yep. You know, so there's, like, various Thelemites hanging out. Um, it also sounds like one of those shitty, weirdly culty <coughs> punk houses. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of was. Um, it's unfortunate. Yes. Uh, eventually, this all, like, really goes even more to shit. Yep. Um, Which, considering how gone to shit it already is is amazing yeah Yeah. um so eventually this uh, young guy called uh raul loveday moves to the abbey with his wife betty may yep uh betty doesn't want to be there because betty is apparently a little bit a little bit sane and like her hubby is like into thelema and wants to be in this sex magic crack house cult and uh, Betty would rather not, which is kind of understandable. Yep. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, Love Day dies. Yep. And there are sort of some conflicting narratives as to why he dies. Why he dies. Um, 
Betty says it's because he had to drink the blood of a sacrificed cat. Um, the more sort of official version is that Loveday drank from a polluted stream and died of a liver infection. Yep. Um, either way, he ingested something you shouldn't have. Yep. Um, Crowley claims to have warned him not to fucking drink from the stream. Yep. Um. Crowley's always <clears throat> claiming to have warned people who then died. Yeah. But, you know... Um, another thing that Betty May says mm -hmm. is that everyone had to cut themselves with razors every time they used the pronoun I. Now, I thought that sounded like bullshit until you... Dug up Lieber 3. Yeah, which does in fact, um, advocate... Doing that for at least a week. Yeah. So, my guess is that some people... At least. We're doing that. Um, so that's probably not complete bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch <laughs> of magicians on a ton of drugs. Who knows what the fuck they're getting up to. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> Betty May goes back to London and tells the press, the tabloid John Bull proclaims Crowley the wickedest man in the world and a man we'd like to hang. Yep. Um, Crowley feels that this is slanderous, but he can't afford to sue them. Um, yep. And so John Bull just keeps going after him. Yep. And going and going and going. Um, eventually, the fascist government of Benito Mussolini decides to deport Aleister Crowley. Yep. That's another reason that maybe, you know, putting this in sex magic crack house in Italy at the time was not a great idea. Well, did they put it... Did they put it there before Mussolini came in? Let me see. Abbey of the Lima. When did they move there? Uh, 1920. So when was Mussolini? Uh, let's find out. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do, do, do. Um. Alright, um. Ruled Italy from 1922 to 43. Okay. So, like... So he he basically just got in into power. Yep. And yeah, because in uh, 1923, they're uh, kicked out of Italy. Yep. <laughs> Which you know, when Mussolini is like, okay, you've got to chill out. You're 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 doing a little. You're a little too crazy. You're a little too extra. Yep. Get out of Italy. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean. You can say a lot of things about Crowley, mm -hmm. but he was not the sort of guy who in many ways would appeal to fascists. Yeah. Like, he's the sort of guy... He's that, a degenerate. Yeah. And kind of proud of it. Yeah. Which is the most likable thing about him, really. Honestly, yes. Yeah. So, anyway, um, really from this point, yes. Crowley's life is kind of all downhill, um, which is a bummer. Yep. Um, some people say it wasn't, but... Some people say it wasn't, um, all downhill. Yep. But, you know, his health is not good and he's, uh, struggling to give up heroin. Yep. Um, they've gone to... Tunisia, um, Crowley's starting to write his auto-hagiography, which is, by the way, very entertaining. Yes. So, like, honestly, if nothing else, he turned out at least a bit more really good writing yep. in the form of that book, because it's quite fun and I recommend it. Yep. Um, he also kind of continues just, like, fucking everyone. Yep. You know, he might be destitute, but Crowley can always kind of find uh, yep. subby sugar daddies, like Alexander Zuzoler, yep. a wealthy student he took on. Um, yep. Yep. Um, he's maintaining um, leadership of the OTO. But gets into kind of a succession struggle about that. As people do. Mm hmm Uh. Yeah. Pulling around a lot. 
Doesn't he have another kid? Oh, he has so many kids. I don't even know how many kids. I doubt Crowley knew how many kids he had. I mean, there are... There are people who claim that frickin' Barbara Bush was his kid, okay? Yeah. Like, who knows? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're like, the ones he acknowledged. Yeah, like, it sounds like a wacky conspiracy theory. Yeah. That Barbara Bush might have been his kid. But honestly, the man was such a hoe that I would kind of believe that, like... Yeah. Anyone, like, born in the period of his sexual fertility might have been his kid. Yep. Like... <laughs> In almost any part of the world, because he traveled that much. Yes. Like, literally, who the fuck knows? He had five acknowledged children. Yeah. Um, let's see, he publishes his novel, Moonchild, which mm-hmm. um, ends up providing inspiration later to uh, Marjorie Cameron for her yep. apocalyptic interracial sex cult. Yep. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, yes. He's kind of into the 30s. He's getting more into painting. Yep. Um, do do rubbing el- elbows with like Aldous Huxley. Yes. I'm just, I'm kind of skimming the rest of his life here. He once um, described his political views as aristocratic communism, which, like, what the fuck does that even mean? I don't mean, even Crowley? know what that means, but it's hilarious. Yes. Um, oh yeah. So, near the end of his life, we can get into this a little bit. Yep. He's, uh, living largely off of contributions supplied by the OTO's Agape Lodge in California, which was led by rocket scientist... Jack. John Whiteside Jack Parsons. Yep. Yep. Which... He's going to need an episode, too. He, Jack is getting his own episode, because we love Jack. Jack might be getting a series of episodes. I mean, Jack did get a uh, really entertaining... Um, TV series. TV series. Which is ongoing and so much fun. It's it has called, been renewed. It's called Strange Angel. Uh, based on a book, loosely, of the same name, Strange Angel. Recommend both. It's not entirely accurate, but goddamn, is it fun? Yep. They, I think they kind of had to change some names in that one because there were still some living relatives. Yep. But uh, yeah, um, fun side note, um, Crowley pretty much being supported by the lodge run by a pioneering rocket scientist. Yep. (laughs) Um, And sex magician. Yeah, yeah. And sort of James Dean lookalike. Yep. (laughs) Uh, World War II breaks out, um, Crowley, um volunteers uh for the naval intelligence division yep but they decline that yep whoa what the fuck what (laughs) he associated with a variety of figures in britain's intelligence community at the time including dennis wheatley Roald Dahl. yep ian fleming and maxwell knight wait Roald Dahl. what yeah what (laughs) shit was yeah, it was it was a weird I time. I mean, Roldal also wrote a series of adult novels, like, and by adult I mean naughty. Wow, that's uh, very strange. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, that explains a lot. Okay, um... In uh, 1944, mm-hmm. he's uh, living in Buckinghamshire. Yeah, and he takes on a young guy called Kenneth Grant as his secretary. Yep, paying him in magical teaching rather than wages. Yep, Kenneth Grant, by the way, uh, is a very very strange occult writer. Yep, um, who's possibly a little too influenced by H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, but fun. I did not realize that he was directly mentored by Aleister Crowley. That's fascinating. Yeah, I I, I knew that one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Crowley also meets Gerald Gardner, the future founder of Gardnerian Wicca. Which is honestly like... Really, really ripped off from Thelema. It's like... It's like Splenda Thelema. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and um, eventually Crowley in 1947, he dies of uh, chronic bronchitis. Yep. At the age of 72. Yep. Um, um, his he... funeral was held at Brighton Crematorium on the 5th of December. Yep. About a dozen people attended. And Louis Wilkinson read excerpts from the Gnostic Mass, the Book of the Law and Hymn to Pan. Yep. The funeral was labeled a black mass by the tabloids. Yep. Which, honestly, fuck you. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. Um, oh, also, he I... noted on the day of his death that he had a weak erection, so you knew something was uh, wrong. Yeah, I always forget that. That's like his last journal entry is just weak erection. <laughs> yep, so... <laughs> oh, which really makes me want to give him a hug. Despite... Even though it's a little bit creepy. Yep, like... Okay, more than a little bit creepy. Yep, so... But, you know, at that point, he's kind of harmless. It's like, oh, Uncle Alistair and his weak erection. It's okay. You can hug him now. It's safe. <laughs> God, that was a sick joke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um. So, yeah, our feelings <clears throat> on Crowley are... Mixed. Deeply mixed. Yet, for me, rather affectionate. Yes. He was not really a good person. At all. But he also was not as outright evil as he's made out to yeah. be. And although he conned some people, yep, um, he was—he definitely believed his he, shit. He believed his shit, and he did some, you know. Um, oh God, I'm forgetting yeah. his name. It's the author who wrote of human bondage. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he called Crowley a fake, but not entirely a fake. Yeah. And remarked on the fact that he was always boasting of these incredible things, but then it would turn out that he'd actually done some of them. Yep. And that's really Crowley in a nutshell. It was, you know, quite a remarkable life. He was a very intelligent and profoundly well-read man. Yep. Which is, you know, partly because he was a trust fund baby. And he had the free time. <laughs> yeah, he had the free time to read every goddamn thing. Yep. And to the ability to just travel everywhere. And, yep. And so... And fuck everyone. And climb a bunch of mountains and be a chess master and write a bunch of poetry. Yep. And he... <clears throat> yeah. Interesting fellow. Entertaining fellow. Mm -hmm. And one thing I do really like mm -hmm. about him was his willingness to really just go there with occultism and magic. To really just try shit. Because so many people won't. Yeah. He was dedicated. Now, could he do all the things that he claimed to be able to do? Could he really actually, like, astral project and go have conversations with people on the other side of the world who would claim that he was fully visible just as if he'd been there physically? Man. I don't know. It's cool if he could, though. Yep. And <clears throat> how shall I put this? I believe he could do a lot. Yeah. Maybe not everything he said he could do. Which also, I feel like, the way, like, <clears throat> the certain fucked up shit that happened is indicative of the fact that, like, even if you're a pretty damn talented magician... You gotta follow your heart and veer away from heroin, to e paraphrase my so-called life. <laughs> I mean, yes, and also, like, you can fuck up <clears throat> your shit real bad. You really can. Um, with poor life choices. And heroin. And, well, heroin, <laughs> I think, uh, falls under the category of poor life choices. Yes, but I feel like it really just... It's an important poor life yeah. choice. We're, we're the Satanic Temperance League over here. Yep. Um. <laughs> yep, don't do drugs, yeah. kids. Yeah. Or do... You can do some drugs, but as we were saying last night, you don't, like casually shoot heroin yeah heroin is not a drug you use casually anyway this randomly became an anti-drug psa <laughs> <laughs> which was not our intention yep but yeah you know crowley um had many flaws he was essentially a spoiled victorian rich boy yep and so he had a lot of the prejudices of that time yep he um definitely thought a lot of himself Yep. He was um, not a very good partner. And by not a very good partner, we mean disastrously bad. Occasionally pretty abusive. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that he... I think in some things, at least, he did a pretty good job of following his true will. Oh, yeah. 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 Should have been less of a bastard, but, like, he accomplished some genuinely impressive things, and, like... Yeah, he went there. He went there, and... He had his honeymoon in the pyramid of... Yeah. You know, the fair, he... Yeah, his life is a life worth looking at, both in terms of things to avoid, and things that, like, dang, you want to be able to do that. And... It was always fucking interesting. Yes. So with that, we've uh, we've yes. killed off Alistair Crowley successfully in this episode. Yep. Which I didn't think we were going to do. And we've just about reached an hour. Yep. So do we have a backwards satanic message? Um, Wait, no, I have an idea. Okay. I'll just... Uh, I'll just read a tiny bit of this thing because I happen to have it open. Good. Uh, and uh so there you have it <laughs> yep this has been speak of the devil um the official podcast of the first church of the morning star um you know you can follow us on Twitter at Speak of the Dev. You can email us at Speak of the Devil Podcast 666, 666. at gmail.com. Yep. You can also email Morningstar Congregation at gmail.com. Yep. We're also um, on Facebook at Speak of the Devil Satanic Podcast. Uh, follow and or review us wherever your podcasts are found. Um, music was by Electric Mirrors, as always. Um, hopefully you're not too mad at us for our take on Alistair Crowley. And, uh, hail Satan! Hail Satan!